0: Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know, maybe a year, maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I meet with Carissa, an American girl living in Quebec in Canada. and She's going to tell us about the culture shock, which can be just right next door sometimes. Hi Carissa, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Well, great to have you. Um, it's great to be back into the episodes also. Good to be back and to have you have you here and we're gonna talk a little bit more about Quebec.
1: So yeah, so I actually am from a rural suburb of Syracuse, New York. Right. It's actually only two hours drive from the border. Um, which is kind of interesting to think that I ended up being an immigrant, but I only drove two hours across the border (laughs) to do so. Um, And I think it's interesting to note, like, you really, when you think of rural suburb of Syracuse, New York, think cows, think countryside, think farms. Don't think skyscrapers of New York City. Like, it's really, really rural. I grew up in a small community, and I didn't really travel much, let's just say.
0: It was all right. Okay. And so what brought you abroad and to Canada then
1: yeah so I think it's relevant I have to start all the way back so in my educational system growing up um, our first opportunity to learn another language is when we're in sixth grade or about 11 years old okay Um, I just remember that being a significant experience for me even at 11 years old I walked into the classroom teacher was like bonjour like very (laughs) animated and i got my little book and i started to learn and of course you know our focus was right immediately in france there was no mm-hmm. consideration of you know french in any other countries which we we yeah. know it's, it's a language that's spoken in other places in the world but the book was really focused on france specifically paris and that first day i was like what is this there's a there's a whole wide world out there mm. And this sounds so neat, um, thinking about other people living in a different part of the world, speaking a different language. And I remember I, I like came right home to my mom and looked at her and pointedly was like, why do we live here? Why Why, is this <laughs> why are we American? <laughs> exactly. Why, and I, was, I started asking her. I think about it. I'm 11 years old. I'm asking my mom, why are we American? Why did you choose to live here? Why was I born here? Why, why haven't we traveled? And my mom probably just looked at me like I was an alien. It was like, what? <laughs> what's going on? Of course we live here. You know, this is where we yeah. live. So um, I think it was probably from that moment on that I, I had a spark. It's a spark within me. I had That's this interest. So young. And it's so young, but I, I think I, I literally fell in love at that point in time. I was like, I want to pursue this. And I yeah. know that one day I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to travel. Wow. I'm going to live somewhere else. So Big
0: um,
1: dreams. yeah, <laughs> definitely especially for the context of being in this small you know Mm. community it wasn't really normal or heard of or most people weren't saying I want to travel
0: and live abroad yeah and well did you at that time at 11 years old have were you conscious that it was a small community and and maybe that was how you saw this parallel with oh there's a whole world out there and
1: I hadn't been conscious about it before, and I think as I continued to progress through um, high school, and I, I think I was, I felt a little outside the box because mm-hmm. I kept thinking about it, and I didn't see other people really thinking about it. So, okay. so yeah. So essentially, from there, I continued on. Obviously, throughout high school, um, I continued on because I actually had a knack for it. <laughs> I always had really good grades, but I also obviously had the motivation, and I'm a bit of a nerd anyway. So um, French class always and still to this day you know or until I ended my my studies was my happy place right um so it made sense you know at, at 17 or 18 years old when you're starting to apply for universities in the states I had decided I wanted to pursue um, a, a French major right and my goal was to become a French teacher um, so I applied to a few schools and I ended up going to university at Buffalo which is about a two-hour drive um, in the opposite direction of Montreal but closer mm. to Niagara Falls and so, yeah, that was my first time being away from home. It was a two hours drive in the other direction. and again, it was over I found it immediately overwhelming. Right. I, I, despite my passion for wanting to go somewhere, I was like, okay, now I've really done it. <laughs> I' now I'm outside of my hometown bubble, and now I'm on my own with nobody, no family, you know, no friends. And I was really overwhelmed by that at first, but then I kind of grew to like it. I was like, yeah. i'm I'm independent. I'm autonomous. I can do this. I liked the challenge, I guess. Yeah. so. I've obviously started my French classes and I had a great professor. First semester, first year. She was like, OK, so you are the French majors, um, just so you know, this is what we're going to be expecting of you over the next four years. And she said there will be a requirement to study abroad.
0: Ah, So that and, was your, your, your go ticket. Then. Well,
1: there you go. That was, should have been, as of everything I'm saying up until this point, like, yes, I'm going to do this. And instead it was like, Oh, panic. Oh, wow. I- I've never traveled. I've never yeah. been on a plane. I've never, you know, I just moved two hours away and I, and I struggled a bit. So now yeah. you're sending me to France. Like I actually have to go. I don't speak French, <laughs> which I'm going <laughs> to touch upon later, but I don't, I'm not fluent. And despite all these years, you know, it was just very much a stress, Scary. Yeah. but it was scary and stressful. And so she was like, Well, wait a minute, aren't you from the Syracuse area? Why don't you think about Montreal? And I was like, Oh, oh, where's Montreal? <laughs> um, it's literally a four-hour drive away from you. Yeah, they speak French there. Oh, and Montreal, Montreal's a bilingual city. So, you know, you'll you don't have to fly anywhere, you'll be close to home if you need to go home. And you can yeah. speak English, no problem. So I was like, Hmm, I'm gonna think about this.
0: Yeah, there's a secure yeah,
1: that, that piece was like, okay, this is comfort, like I can make a jump, but not if it still have a possibility that if it doesn't work out, um, that I'm not that far away from home.
0: Yeah, you take it step by step.
1: Exactly. So coincidentally, that summer, I ended up meeting a bunch of Quebecers, like <laughs> through an activity that we were just both in. And I was like, okay, so it really is close. Like it was just mm-hmm. more of these, these, the notion that it was feasible, the notion that I it was possible, it started, especially when meeting my friends. Um, and I ended up visiting them. So okay. I decided to visit Montreal about two two to three times the right. following year. So it would have been my second year in university.
0: And that was before the study abroad? Then?
1: Before the study abroad. before the, And I was like, okay, decision made. I'm moving here. <laughs> forget study abroad. Forget anything else. I love this city. I'm going to pack up my life and move here. And I'm going to okay. change universities. So it was a big transition from being afraid to just being like perhaps a little naive at 19 years old, thinking, you know, I can do this. I'm just going to pack up my life, a bold decision without much research.
0: <laughs> and so why this choice suddenly? Because as you had the option to do it through study abroad, why did you say, well, I'm just going to pack up and, and go and change university outside the program?
1: I, I think it's truly because I loved the city. I loved okay. the vibe. I saw a more of a potential to immerse myself in French. Um, Mm. If I really want to do this, if I really want to learn French, like enough is enough. Now I found an opportunity to do it. All my Quebecer friends spoke French primarily and obviously English um, as their second language. So just even being around them, I was like, I'm already getting exposed Mm. to way much, you know, more French, more of the culture, also the aspect and um, it was, I, like I said, I can't really rationalize it now or understand what this 19-year-old version yeah. of myself really, I had no idea what I was getting into, essentially. <laughs> but I was like, oh, you know, you've always wanted to do this. You've been afraid. You've been scared. Well, you know what? There's your chance to do it. So if you commit fully, if you apply and you change schools, there's no turning back. Right. Even though I kind <laughs> of I kind of looked into the options to potentially go back. Yeah, I
0: made a pretty bold Unresearched decision.
1: decision. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and how did that go? <laughs>
1: so, um, yeah, and I just wanted to add that obviously looking back, I realized that if I had researched more about the immigration process and ex- uh, everything that that would entail, I definitely would have chickened out. So for <laughs> the best.
0: <laughs> just jump into the deep yeah. end.
1: <laughs> so um, I had to take a semester, uh, a gap. So that time I used to uh, get my paperwork in order, pack up my lights. Here I am in my car, I'm driving over the border. It's a two-hour drive to the border, then two more to Montreal. And I was like having the realization that I had no idea about Canada. Like I have no idea in Quebec specifically. So my culture shocks are directly related to that. Um, I'm comparing my small upstate New York life versus Quebec, where the the province, the official language is French, which I had no idea before moving. Oh. <laughs> I had I had this preconceived false notion that everybody was bilingual. So right. actually the official language in Quebec is French. It's not really comparable to the rest of Canada, just putting that out there. Yeah. So when I'm moving here, I'm under the, the understanding that everybody's bilingual and actually um, living in harmony, <laughs> perhaps flowing back and forth from English and French. And I was quickly briefed on the historical tensions between French and English speakers here, um, which stems all the way back to like seven years war in the 1700s. So there is a long, um, a long history of (laughs) of essentially not really liking each other, but it's evolved, but still, so I can give an example. So my first apartment ended up being in the West, uh, Western side of the Montreal Island. So that's historically an English speaking, um, more, more English prominent West is more English, East is more French. Okay. Of course, I didn't know that before moving here, so it was a happy coincidence. And one of the first days I was here, officially having moved, went into a a fast food restaurant with a friend, a Quebecer friend who spoke French. Of course, I ordered in English, no problem, sat down. Within five minutes, there was a fight breaking out at the counter between a client, an angry man speaking and screaming in French, and the cashier who was screaming back in English. Okay. Um, obviously I couldn't understand really what the guy was saying but she was so angry and she was yelling back like I just moved here from Alberta I'm trying to learn French I don't speak it yet can you just calm down like I have to work somewhere don't I and and my friend was like yeah he's upset because he's not being served in French
0: Oh. and I was
1: like what? (laughs) what? like I think I physically shrank into my seat like that can happen Like you can, you can get yelled at because, you know, people can be angry and exercise their right to be served in French. And obviously Mm. we're even in an English prominent neighborhood and that's happening. So, right. And even the manager, like she came over and was like, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. You know, she, she just moved here trying to give explanations. Right. So I was like, and then the manager's defending like this angry man who's just yelling. So Mm. that was a significant moment. That was a significant moment where I realized like I could appear not as an immigrant, not as an American who just moved here, loves French, and wants to learn French and desperate to um, speak the language and understand the culture. I could be instead quickly assumed or presumed that I was someone who was native to Quebec and just you know identified as an English speaker.
0: Okay, so can you come back on the mm-hmm. that the tension w- within Quebec of. The, the French speakers and the English speakers. Do you know the, the history? Could you talk to us about it? As
1: far as I understand, essentially, it was obviously it was Nouvelle-France. It was new. the New France was here. They had right. been here for centuries working with the indigenous peoples, um, fur trading industry. They had quite a large territory in northeastern America. And then the Seven Years' War, essentially, is when the British came. Um, right. It's a little bit before the American Revolution as well. Like They came and they're like, Essentially, I guess they were like, it's ours now. Okay. (laughs) So the British came and they ended up winning.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So there was that tension there was like, okay, well, now you're part of New England. Mm -hmm. But okay, we'll allow you to keep your French culture, but now you're part of us.
0: So you have to speak English, but... Yeah,
1: even back then, I'm assuming like they were isolated, the French speakers. It was like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. we were here first, now we've lost. Now we're supposed to kind of adapt and some people would consider it maybe assimilate to this, but no. So that identity and that belonging and that culture and other things happen. And so like just the tension continued because and to this day, there's still people who, you know, identify not as Canadian, but as Quebecer. Right. Um, And they're French speakers and they want the right to to speak in their language and to live in their language. And I I fully...
0: Well, especially if you say that um, the national language is... French.
1: The official language is French. Yes. And in Canada there's two official languages, but it's not really anyway we could we could talk about that if you want, but you're not going to go to Alberta and really have service in French. So yeah. we say Canada says it has two official languages, but it's it's not entirely accurate in my
0: opinion. Okay.
1: So there's still tensions to this day. It's about you know if you're in Quebec, why don't you speak French? And then the English people, you know, for the French speaking perspective, and yeah. the English people who live here and born here and grew up here was like, well, I have a culture too. I have my identity too. So, and that and that persists to this day.
0: And w- would those those people who 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 speak English and want to speak English would they be Canadians from outside of Quebec who moved English Quebecers,
1: English uh, Quebecers?
0: So, so yeah, right. Yeah. It goes back.
1: And there's laws in place here to protect French. And so a lot of people, went in the 70s, there was a law, it's called the Law 101, that essentially says that everything that you see visually has to be in French. And of course, there's some exceptions where well, they will translate, but government publishes in French and mm. signage is in French. And so a lot of people left, like there was an exodus of English speakers at that time oh, to wow. Toronto. because And so that,
0: signs so. are not bilingual that they, they no. would be completely French. No
1: things are completely in French, unless there's an emergency situation, obviously, or something that, you know, COVID, mostly everything has been translated and pushed everywhere, uh, published everywhere in both languages, obviously, so.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know there was such attention. I mean, I knew there was this question about Quebec speaking French and being proud of the language. I had no idea there was so much conflict within Quebec around this specific topic. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: I think it's primarily the generation before, um, like my, that would be our parents' generation. But I still think, you know, my generation is more a little bit open on it more wanting to be bilingual, but I know it's still there. It still exists. So. Okay. So I think, yeah, it's go, It's safe to say that this whole exchange and realization uh, profoundly impacted me and actually changed my personality. Um, <laughs> I had so much social anxiety from that point on because I was just terrified of offending anyone. I didn't want to offend uh, a French speaker and I didn't want to offend an English speaker. It's kind of funny. If someone held the door for me, I'd just be like, I'd smile really smile. big. <laughs> I wouldn't say merci or thank you. I'd just say me visually I'm, I'm thankful that you're ho- holding the door for me it's a little exaggerated perhaps like maybe somebody else would have been like oh that's not a big deal but for me I was like oh I don't want to offend uh, I just want to blend in you know so yeah I even I even started wearing big headphones so that people wouldn't ask me for directions <laughs> it's so funny but <laughs> I was like I'm I don't I don't want to have any negative interaction with anyone on the street so
0: so how did you overcome that or start improving your French as it was your goal in the first place how did you get out of that well I have to start talking to people to actually improve
1: exactly so I think it was through my classes in university okay so essentially I then that's another culture shock so here we go for that one (laughs) like I said I grew up since 11 year old 11 years old to about 19 years old in French classes every year and and I spoke English in my class I spoke English with my French teachers. So my first day in university in Montreal, I walked up to the professor in front of everybody because I was like 10 minutes late. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Uh, Could I please have the syllabus? And I think she just stopped, glared a little bit, said like in French, "Um, excuse me, we're in French 201. Would you like to repeat in French? (laughs) And I, I, again, just died inside. And I was like, all these people are staring at me and i mumbled quickly in my broken french like please syllabus thank you and then ran to the back of the class <laughs> <laughs> so that was a big difference obviously french was now i mean it's an obvious one french in french class right but yeah. um the level and the difficulty changed because mm. i was now in a city where there were french speakers so Like, for example, I went from doing little exercises and, you know, asking my professor, raising my hand, like, oh, what does this mean in English, you know, or in memory? I remember I would have a presentation to do in the States. So I would go to Google Translate, um, do my and memorize by heart the French translation and then just read it off in front of the class. So I went from that to actually being with peers who were native French speakers, because I think they might have been pursuing like degrees in French literature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I now had to suddenly read entire books, watch documentaries, and then discuss and have live conversation with my fellow peers about what I I took in from that and what I thought about the chapter and, you know, oral presentations weren't just, you know, read it off and then sit down. It was like, okay, so more questions and in front of everybody, right? So it's obvious, you know, that French would be spoken in a French class. But for me, I, I was shocked by that. And obviously the best decision I ever made because I don't think I would actually be fluent in French now if it weren't for that for having an education where um, French degree was was held and expectation was that you Mm -hmm. were going to speak French right Um, it took me about two years
0: to feel confidence
1: to finally understand because also my exposure the the French in Quebec is obviously different than the French in France The accent, the Quebecisms, if you will, Mm -hmm. the way of speaking. So again, had never heard that really before moving here. So it took about two years until I finally felt like I could understand and speak enough to get by. Aside from my degree, I was also obviously immersing myself in the the culture, like trying to listen to music um, from Quebec groups, TV shows, movies, you name it. And I would also spend a lot of time like practicing at -hmm. home. (laughs) <laughs> like, like trying to say the noises that i found were you know i'm trying and my best to yeah. have it exactly to have the accent to blend in if you will
0: so did you pick up the quebec accent yes so um
1: i don't know you know when i've gone to france and belgium they were like what like they responded mm. to me in english because they were like what is what is she speaking but mm. uh i definitely have the quebec accent uh, with a bit of an english i i can't lose it entirely yeah. obviously so some people are like, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> what is this that I'm hearing? You know, I hear it. You yeah. speak so English, right? You know, so. But,
0: but, but yeah, I... it's surprising for you to, to to hear, yeah, someone learning French, picking up the Quebec accents. Um, it, it must be quite surprising to, to, to listen to. Some of the French from France movies, I need subtitles. <laughs> yeah but like for me for me, when I go to the movies and watch a a, a Quebec film, they usually actually do put the subtitles because a few of them i've I've noticed have a bit of English and French mixed within mm-hmm. the film, but there are so many expressions that you hear like, wait, what do they mean there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, although they're speaking French, there's a whole different range of vocabulary for specific words. and for us French, it usually goes back to old French, mm-hmm. as if there was something like stuck back in, gone back in time, instead of me. Yeah, I've heard
1: that before. I've heard that before as well. So, um, but even to this day, and, and that's another thing about identifying now, I've been here for almost 15 years and oh. I still don't identify as a Quebecer because, yeah. you know, no matter what I speak, what maybe once out of 10 times, someone's going to change in English to me. For me, but I'm like, but we're speaking fluent French right now. Why are you changing? It's just because you hear an accent, or you know, like I said, people be like, "Where are you from?" And so it just makes me still feel like an outsider, kind of. So uh, I don't, I don't identify as a Quebecer. I don't identify as uh, an American. I don't really identify as a Canadian. I'm like a person of the world, I guess.
0: I, I was gonna ask, how do you feel when you you go back? Well, I'm gonna say home, but it's probably not your probably don't feel like it's home anymore, but act to the U.S.?
1: No, I definitely don't. So I do not identify as an American because I haven't lived there in 15 years. And mm-hmm. my family is very different than than I am in terms of right. beliefs. And like I said, I grew up in a rural, small town, so it's mostly conservative. Um, okay. uh, their values haven't really evolved me. I've I think it's obviously because of my experience and because um of the things I've benefited from, like the social benefits in, in Canada as well. I mm. feel like the States is far behind as as a first world country that they should just offer healthcare, you know, and other yeah. benefits to their citizens. But I digress. Um so yeah, I feel and even my friends are like, you have an accent now in English. Like we oh. say you say stuff. It's funny the way that you speak, like you definitely have an accent now. I'm like I I don't hear it, obviously. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you're never going to hear it yourself. uh, But um, but...
1: my friends are like, yeah, you see a funny accent now sometimes. So (sighs) I, yeah, I don't belong or I don't feel like I belong or identify, but that's where family is. And I'll still always, you know, my, for my son as well, I'm, I'm speaking English with him because I want Hmm. him to be able to have that, that aspect, that culture, and to obviously interact with my family.
0: So he's completely bilingual. Then
1: he's two, but he's doing really good because my husband yeah. is French, and I speak English to him, and my husband speaks French to him. So like he'll turn to me and say something in English, and, and then, then he'll switch. turn to his papa and, and speak yeah. in French. So it's it's pretty. That's cute. very cool. <laughs> Sometimes like last night he learned c'est assez mama," Stasse. you know? Um, okay, <laughs> sure.
0: Okay, and. When you moved initially, did you have in mind it's going to be for life or it's going to be at least three, four years? What was sort of your plan?
1: So when I started, I definitely still wanted to go back and be a French teacher. That was my dream of a career since I was a little girl. So that was what I had in mind. But through living here and through experiencing um, what I was experiencing and, and starting to really love Montreal and the culture and You know, it's not perfectly bilingual, but you can. You can speak Mm -hmm. French. You can speak English. And I loved that I could identify with both sides of the culture. You know that I was learning about and my culture that I was bringing. So it was a slow change. Also, there was times when immigration was hard. Immigration is not an easy process, and Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was getting into. Like I had to sometimes prove that I was financially able to stay. I had like two thousand dollars less than I was supposed to, so then I had to, you know. It was always stressful and always um, at times I was like, should I just give up? But Mm. I was a bit stubborn, I guess, too. (laughs) I was like, I'm here now. There's no way I'm going back. (laughs) I want this. So I always found a way to make it work. So, yeah, I think it was a slow transition and a realization that I wanted to to stay here and that I was going to become first a permanent resident and then a citizen. And around the three year mark is when I met my husband. So Mm -hmm. that helped. Yeah. yeah of course <laughs>
0: there's someone to stay for
1: that's it and we've been together ever since so it was kind of like um yeah i'm i want to stay here i want. not life there. is here life okay. is here exactly nice so yeah the next thing i was going to talk about also is obviously the the difference in educational costs, how university yeah. is so expensive there
0: go for it and see the differences in education <laughs> yeah
1: so higher education is super expensive in the states so you yeah. go up to grade 12 um, and you're about 17 or 18, I was 17, and they tell you, you need to decide what you want to do now for the rest of your life, pick a career. Yeah. By the way, it's going to be really expensive, but don't worry, sign on the dotted line for your loans, and there's a high interest rate, but you'll figure it out. You'll you'll be able to pay it off. So comparison, and I went to a public university in New York State at the time, so about 15 years ago. One year tuition was between 15 and $17,000, I think
0: so even public universities are are actually very high very cost. expensive I,
1: yeah I don't know. and but it's not just 15 and to seventeen thousand dollars. it's times 6.8 interest rate if you're borrowing wow. so you don't understand
0: that at, no. at 17 18 years old i was yeah, like yeah you have no clue but now i'm starting to understand these Instagram stories that I've been seeing around, yeah, they tell you <laughs> what should I've known when I was 18 to start putting money aside. And this is very typically American because yes. indeed in France, yeah, you sometimes you would take a loan, but you're not one, your interest rate is not going to be as high and tuition fees are a third of that in total.
1: Yes. Um, but you can quickly amass like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt yeah. on an interest rate. And what other option do you have at that point if you want a career correct so Mm. you just do it because you have to do it if you want a job like if i wanted to be a french teacher i needed a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in in new york state Mm. so it was like well i don't have the money but that's what i want to do so borrow
0: yeah but Um, and then when you finish you need a job straight away and when you
1: finish yes but your salary is probably 35 to forty thousand dollars to start off with (laughs) and now you've got like a hundred thousand dollars of debt how can you buy a house? How can you buy a car? How can you survive? It's, it's really it's really significant. I don't know how else to say it, but it's for me, obviously, having gone through my experience, it's really horrible. And I don't think people should be asked to do that. So yeah. the, the big comparison, it's a good culture shock, was that Quebec University is super affordable. Mm. There's a different system as well. They stop high school at 16. And oh. they go to like pre-university. It's called CEGEP. Um, for two usually two years but people can go longer if they change their mind multiple times and then you go to university for three years so the the middle stage the pre-university is like super affordable like a thousand dollars I think for the year or something like that and then university just to give an example like my entire master's degree was five thousand dollars books included oh wow versus what I was you know
0: yeah, so you, you made a great choice when you said, I'm going to change universities. <laughs> there
1: was reasons also behind it. So, yeah. yeah, essentially, I would have never, the lifestyle that I have now, I would have never had if I stayed mm. and continued in the States because I would have been in debt still yeah. <laughs> to this day. Yeah, so, and a lot of that price also is because of the um, kind of the culture around universities in the States. So, for example, my first university, you were expected to live on campus. Um, Or, I mean, if you're from the area, of course, you can stay at home and live with your parents or have an Mm. apartment. But if you're moving, like I did, two hours away, it's kind of like you you live on campus, you get a dorm room. Right. And for first years, we weren't allowed to have a car and we were required to have the meal
0: plan, which is like Like, $7,000. Why? Why would they force all of that on students if there are other options? I... I I I think
1: also like I'm. It's not really. It's like the culture. Like I said, it's kind of like you go to university, you live in a dorm, you make friends. This is the lifestyle that is university. So, if you're forced to have like a seven thousand dollar meal plan, you're gonna eat there at the cafeteria. You're living in your little room. There's no kitchen. There's like one kitchen for the entire floor that people never use. And so for the first two years, I didn't cook. I didn't know how to cook. I had no idea you know how to to make make anything yeah. <laughs> for myself. So that was when I came to Montreal they were like, there's no dorm rooms. We stay in apartments and we go grocery shopping and our activities like social activities with some of my best friends was like, "Oh come over and we'll cook we'll have yeah. dinner, we'll make a soup'll we'll, we'll chat, we'll play we'll drink wine and play board games and <laughs> And then suddenly
0: you have to <laughs> learn how to be independent all over again. <laughs> all over
1: again. Like I yeah. it's, I can give the funny anecdote that I didn't know what an avocado was. Like uh, my best friend was like, how do you not know what an avocado is? I was like, I don't know. Like guacamole comes
0: made in a <laughs> box,
1: you know? They are like, no, this is an avocado. This is how you cut it. And I was like, oh my God, I love avocado. So <laughs> I think I ate one every day for like a couple weeks. And my friend was like, that's great, but they're high in fat. Like it's good fat, but maybe calm down as the <laughs> avocado. So, I survived. Yeah, and like pasta and pre-made sauce. And well,
0: most students most like students that, do, of, of it, course,
1: right. It. <laughs> but I felt like I was starting farther back than some of my friends because, like, just even the culture. Like in the states, I would go out to eat. We would go to mm. the the cafeteria. Like. And the fact that, you know, there's like this kind of like social pressure. I don't know. My friend was like, assigned me to cutting the vegetables because I didn't know how to do anything else. So that was kind of Yeah, there's a bit
0: of that pressure where everyone makes something. So you're like, (laughs) okay, well, what what can I make? I
1: I kind of quickly got the reputation for, I'll just give her a vegetable to cut, you know, she'll (laughs) she'll figure it out.
0: So what ended up being, once you passed that stage of vegetable cutting, what became your go-to dish?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, I And I still think to this day, though, I, I don't have a go-to dish. I'm one of those ones that's like, ooh, a new recipe. Let's try it. Yeah. Um, so back then, that's so long ago. Like I said, it was a lot of pasta. It was yeah. a lot of pasta, a lot of avocados. <laughs> yeah, like soup. It was so funny, but soup is good. Soup yeah. is nice, and you have can make it in large batches, and you're a struggling yeah. student. So I ate a lot of soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so So in continuing with the the positive culture shocks Mm -hmm. was like the social benefits. Yeah. That's another real reason why I wanted to stay. So um, yeah, in the States, healthcare is really in your, and I can talk about New York state. So as long as you're with under your parents' household and as a child, I think New York state covers probably up until about 10 years old or maybe a little bit longer than that. But then after that, you, you fall under your parents' plan Hmm. up until, and I think, President Obama changed it, so probably in your 20s. But if your parents don't have a good job or, you know, insurance is directly affiliated with your job. So mm. if you have insurance, you pay for insurance. And if you don't, that's where it's more ambiguous. It's, tricky. it's not yeah. clear. And I don't have that experience. But I remember, like, you, if you go to a specialist, there's always a copay. So you want to go to the dermatologist, for example. You have insurance, but you're expected to pay $30 that day. Yeah, And then afterwards, if you have hospitalizations, things like that, there's a bill um, okay. that can be a significant bill, a couple thousand yeah. dollars. Like if you have a baby, usually you have like a thousand to two thousand dollar bill for having mm. a baby. Congratulations. Here's <laughs> the bill with it. <laughs> um, and also the concept of maternity leave and, per- and parental leave. Mm-hmm. That was that was nothing yeah. that ever discussed in the States. I know for myself, my mom put me in daycare when I was two years old, two weeks old, two oh, weeks wow. old. That is scary. She had to go back to work. And she told me an awful story that she was just like crying at her desk. Aww. And now I know my friends that are still in New York state. I think there's a maximum of 12 weeks. Okay. So, and, and then daycare is really, there's no standardized nothing. It's mm-hmm. perhaps your neighbor. It's perhaps uh, you, go, if you, if you can afford an establishment where there's a daycare that uh, can be really costly. Yeah. So that's kind of the concepts of that I grew up with. And then when I moved to Quebec people started talking about free health care. Like, yeah, the whole free, new world. <laughs> what is this free health care? And, you know, taxes obviously is where it comes from. So that we yeah. do pay a higher proportion of taxes. I think it's about 15%, which I probably is better than some European countries. So, yeah, my mind was literally blown that there was a, systems in place to take care of society. So yeah. free health care in Quebec, you get one year paid maternity leave fathers can take a five-week paid um, paternity leave there's affordable daycare my son goes to daycare for nine dollars a day and his teacher went to school for that profession so it's not just anybody you know it's someone yeah. who's trained to do this so that was also a significant factor in deciding to stay here because I was like if I knew I wanted children I knew I wanted a family and I just felt that I was giving them better yeah situation. you have
0: an environment that you feel safer in.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've, mm-hmm. And I started to, like I said, that I, I don't necessarily identify being an American anymore. And I don't identify, you know, with my family, we have contrasting beliefs, because mm-hmm. now I've come to the understanding that this is amazing. This is what society should be like. This is what a government should do is, you know, take care mm-hmm. of people and give them their basic rights. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's something that, you know, I don't see eye to eye on with the way yeah. things are run in, in the States.
0: Yeah, I think we realize the benefits when we move around. Either the benefits that we have, either the ones that we lose. And I think similarly to you, for me, I wanted to move back to France partly because of the social benefits that I had in, in France that I didn't have in Ireland that's Anglo-Saxon a lot more liberal, not mm. to the point of the US, but still a lot more liberal too, versus France. Definitely a little bit more security.
1: <laughs> right. So the, the very last topic I thought about was marriage. Okay. Might be, might be interesting. Okay. So that was also um, a big shock. So in the States, marriage is really, um, it's not even a second thought. It's more in anyway, I'm talking about where I grew up. So it's not even yeah. really a second thought. It's like you grow up, you get married, you have kids you right. type of notion. A lot of it also is, again, as I touched on insurance. So a lot of the times it's, if, you're thinking about getting married and maybe your prospective husband has a good job with good insurance. Well, you might say, oh, let's get married so that I can be on your insurance plan so that I can have healthcare, so that I can be part of your family. So um, it's really integral or I'd say a part of the way that I grew up. Also, you know, our movies, we grow up. Mm -hmm. The the lady grows up and she has a, the lady meets the man and she has a wonderful wedding. And so like it's ingrained in us um, from Mm -hmm. when we're young. So in contrast to Quebec, even as of 50 to 60 years ago, the Catholic Church was super influential. So even to this day, there's still crosses left over in public buildings like schools and hospitals. Um, The Catholic Church had a huge influence. So at some point in time, I think usually, I think it was probably around um, in the 60s, maybe a little bit before then, there was kind of an uprising against the church. So like every concept associated with religion kind of went out the window including marriage like so before women were kind of expected to be married and have, take their husband's name so it's more of a progressive movement if you will um, right. in Quebec you, as a, a married woman you cannot change your name um, and oh. there's more common law rights so in the states or in New York state at least to become common law I think you have to live together for like seven years but in Quebec mm-hmm. it's like one year <laughs> you Live together one year you're common law it's good Okay. <laughs> So I came up, you know, here thinking, you know, marriage was something that I wanted in my life. And it was one of the first conversations with my husband. I was like, "Um, yeah, so I want to get married. I want to have a kid. (laughs) Just so you (laughs) know, I'm going to be upfront about it. And he was like, Oh, that's okay. But you know, I always thought about maybe getting married you know, after a couple kids or down the line, we think about it. And I was like, ah, not possible, <laughs> not possible. Absolutely not. Like, cause my concept was you have yeah. a marriage, you build the foundation mm-hmm. before you have children. So that's kind of a radical idea, I guess, here in Quebec that I'm married and, and people do get married. It's just not necessarily their first priority. They have other priorities mm-hmm. like build, buying a house or, mm-hmm. you know, having a car or making sure they have enough financials saved up whereas in the states it's like oh we'll figure it out we got to get married yeah so wedding mm-hmm. is super expensive but we'll figure it out um, so yeah I thought that was
0: interesting yeah I never really thought about it it's true what you say about yeah seeing the films it's always sort of the story that you see but and at the same time I feel like it doesn't necessarily reflect what I live in France although there is a bit of conservatism in France also but it's not it's not predominant. Mm,
1: interesting. Well, also, I I don't think it would have been an end all like, if my husband wasn't again didn't want it. But I think it would have some something that I would have always still wanted, mostly because that was what I grew up in understanding. That's what my concept of a family was. Yeah. And I really was disappointed that I couldn't change my name at first. Now I've yeah. I'm like I'm good with it. And it's not necessarily all women in the states anymore. There's some women who choose to keep their name, which is really mm. interesting to see. But I was like, now I'm over here and my husband and my children are going to have a name that I can't yes. share, I, that mm. family unit. But people here are like, you don't have to change your name. You're a woman. Like, <laughs> Assume uh, your progressive yep. feminist side. You don't yeah. need to change your name. But I was like, I don't associate my name mm. change with that. So
0: yeah.
1: I think I've talked enough today <laughs> for you.
0: Well, let's move on to, I'd love to hear your recommendations then from yes. Montréal.
1: So I most recently lived in the Villaray na- neighborhood. So Villaray right. is the quartier uh, where I, I'm making my recomm- recommendations from. Okay. So for brunch, absolute best place for brunch, in my opinion, is Le Toastar, The toaster
0: right. in Villeray <laughs> With the accent. With the <laughs>
1: accent. Um, it's so delicious. It's super small and cozy. Um, and there's definitely going to be a long line outside oh. in the sun, in the rain, in the negative 20, negative uh, 30. No, we didn't <laughs> talk about the winters. Because <laughs> I grew up in the winter, but it's cold here. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, and they change their menu on a monthly basis. So that's let's,
0: let's get interesting.
1: <laughs> for cocktails, I was going to recommend the Sparrow in oh, the End yeah. neighborhood. So this is also actually more known as a brunch spot. So I don't think a lot of people think about it for cocktails. So it's it's interesting if you're looking for a relaxed vibe. You know, without the pounding music in the background.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> my favorite, bring your own wine. So in oh. Montreal, there's so many bring your own wines. It's awesome. It's called Le Pegas in the in the Plateau area. Uh, it has French traditional French cuisine. Again, super small. You have to make a reservation in advance. Yeah. Um, but it's delicious. So those are those are my nice. three
0: recommendations. Okay. Well, I'll link them in the comments. Perfect. And yeah, before we leave, what would be your expat or Québec song?
1: So I thought about it and my <laughs> song is "Tun Tun d'automne by the Cowboy to- Fringas.
0: Okay, you're going to have to send me the I'm link and so I to listen to it. it. What is the...
1: It is the first song I understood... With all oh. of its Quebecisms. So it starts off like, <laughs> I'm
0: going to have to listen to it and, tra- and find a translation.
1: <laughs> uh, for sure. But I listened to it. I listened to the song a million times, probably. I'm not exaggerating. Over and over and over and over again until I started to understand the words and the right. Quebecisms. So that was amazing. And it's the first time I felt connected to Quebec on a cultural level because I liked the song. It's a really yeah. sweet song. So Nice.
0: Well, great. Uh, Thank you for all these insights on Canada, well, Quebec, more precisely, versus uh, the US. It's it's super insightful. Very interesting. I I learned a lot. I'm really glad to be here. And
1: I'll keep listening because I'm an avid fan. Cool. Feel free to share.
0: Well, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, go put a rating on Apple Podcasts and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Thanks, Carissa. (laughs) Bye-bye.